0: Welcome back, everybody. Well, actually, welcome to the show. We're just getting started here. This is Fan Rag Fantasy Baseball. Maybe you've been tuned in ever since Sunday's show. I don't know. But uh, anyways, glad to have you aboard. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and very excited for today's guest. A little bit later on in the show, Lauren Shahadi. You know her from MLB Network. I know her from uh, back in my days uh, working for CBS. So uh, very excited to have her on. I'm going to talk about the Astros, talk about the Yankees, and some other AL East developments. So a lot of good stuff there uh, to come. So uh, before, of course, we get to any of that, got to get to uh, all the latest news and uh, the the big news. Uh, you know, from just the last uh, I don't know hour or so, is that uh, the Brewers are uh, making a move. They are uh, putting Travis Shaw on paternity leave, and they're going to replace him, at least temporarily, on the roster with Brett Phillips. And I have to admit, that came as a little bit of a surprise to me. I'd had my eye on Lewis Brinson uh, being the first big Brewers prospect to come up. But Phillips himself is also having a very nice year after a bit of a disappointing 2016 in the Brewers system. Uh, so he'll be up. Uh, to me, this looks like this is probably a, a Temporary move, but, you know, it, we shall see. I mean, it certainly be good to see him, uh, you know, up with the Brewers, uh, at least for, for a few days. So uh, keep an eye on that situation. Uh, also, the way it, the announcement from the Brewers was worded was that Phillips was going to be making his Major League debut tonight. So uh, we still don't have a lineup from the Brewers, but to me, that sounds an awful lot like uh, Phillips could be in the starting lineup. So uh, we've only got one lineup in so far, and that's the Reds lineup. We'll get to that in, in a little bit. But um, in terms of some other news, uh, Justin Verlander had an MRI on his groin. He has uh, tightness in his right groin, and the results came back clean. So uh, Verlander is considered day-to-day, but is expected to make his next start. So... I to me that sounds safe to have Verlander uh in your fantasy rotation for week 10 which uh starts in about uh, 4 hours from now. So good news there uh for, for Justin Verlander. Also Carlos Rodon is scheduled to begin his rehab assignment tomorrow that being Tuesday uh in class A. So uh that's uh finally some progress that we see there from Carlos Rodon. Who I think is, you know, because he's been out for these two months and there hasn't been a whole lot of news that uh, he's sort of been off the radar as a, as a DL stash. But um, yeah, he finished, finished 2016 pretty strong, seemed to get that walk rate under control, uh, getting a lot of strikeouts. So don't sleep on Carlos Rodan, and he may not be out for all that much longer. So uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the news. So we will get the rest of it after this break. And we're going to finally try to figure out Zach Kozart for once and for all. So stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and uh, we got lots to get to today. We've got more news, even more than what we went over in the first segment. We've got Zach Cozart analysis to dig into, which we seem to do about every time he has a big game, which is about every other day. we got some pitching performances to go over. We've got Lauren Shahadi on the show later on today. It's a packed show today, but uh, we still have time talk about the fancy sports radio network app that's right you can now take the world famous world's premier 24 7 fancy sports radio app with you wherever you go download the fancy sports radio app now in the itunes store or on google play and listen for free anytime anywhere you can hear tody cicada on the treadmill Brendan riccardi in your car greg sussman on the subway or just relax with the king on the couch or with jake Sealy when you're jogging We'll keep you updated, informed, wherever you go. So get the Fantasy Sports Radio app for free right now in the iTunes, iTunes Store or on Google Play and take the experts with you. So back to the news. Uh, right before the break, talked about Carlos Rodon starting a rehab s- assignment on Tuesday. So that is good, exciting news, especially if you've been stashing them for the last two-plus months. Also, some uh, encouraging news on Devin Travis. He got hit. Uh, on the left hand by a pitch on uh, Sunday, but he is, uh, only day to day. So not a, a serious injury there. No, uh, there was uh, no broken bones revealed. So, uh, you know, could have been a lot, lot worse for Devin Travis. Uh, so just day to day for him, Josh Harrison left a game on Sunday early. Uh, he had right cat, right calf discomfort. He too was hit by a pitch, um, so no further word on Harrison yet, but I'll pass that along, of course, if we see uh, any more word on Harrison. The Mets are thinking about uh, sticking with a six-man rotation. So, uh, you know, they, they're they getting, as uh, we talked about on Sunday's show, they're getting um, Stephen Matz back this week. They're going to get Seth Lugo back. Uh, Robert Gisellman is going to the bullpen still, so that is not really in question, but Tyler Pill may uh, stay in the rotation. So uh, no, no decision made there yet. But that's, of course, one to look at. Uh, more so, I think, for the potential impact on the schedule, You know maybe in, in week 11. Uh, the Mets have a double header later uh, this week. So, I mean, they're going to need the sixth pitcher there. I would assume that would be Tyler Pill. But um, you know in terms of long-term implications, that uh, basically could mess up two-start weeks, which is not great from a fantasy perspective. Uh, Brandon McCarthy says he is going to be able to make his Tuesday start against the Nationals. He came out early from his last start with a blister. Uh, So I think with McCarthy, you know, what I've said about him over and over again this season is when he's healthy, he's been really good and really reliable. But we've seen this before with these blister issues where a pitcher says he's ready to go, he does go, and then uh, he has to come out early again because the blister issue is not resolved. So as much as I like Brandon McCarthy – if I'm looking for an excuse to avoid that start against the Nationals, uh, and, and you know, frankly, if, if there weren't a blister issue, I probably would go ahead and start McCarthy. But I think uh, you know the, the, more the blister than the matchup. But if you're looking for an excuse, the blister gives you, I think, a legitimate one to keep McCarthy on your bench for Week 10. I have not talked too much about Whit Merrifield recently, but uh, while I've not been talking about him, he has been building up a massive hitting streak. He's now got a 19-game hitting streak with Merrifield, which just goes to prove that you cannot spell wit without hit. So uh, he's off to a very, very uh, nice start settling in as uh, the Royals' second baseman. Rugnet Dora was dropped to the seventh spot in the batting order for the Rangers, and he responded by hitting a home run off Brad Peacock, which was Almost all the damage that uh, the, the Rangers did do um, did do uh, against the Astros on Sunday. So I'm not sure if this is just a, a thing to kind of get Odor going because he's been off to a, a very slow start but um, all is good uh, in, in terms of his Sunday performance with that, that home run. Um, one other thing I would say about Odor is that while in terms of the home run rate he's a bit behind. Last year's pace, but uh, you know he still very much has like a 25 to 30 homer season uh, within his reach. But the batting average, of course, is very low. He's hitting 191, uh, and I'm going off memory here. So uh, if I'm off, uh, if it's 181 or so, but the, the point is, he's hit ha- hitting for a very low average uh, on ground balls. So that's something that normally corrects itself unless it is somebody who is, you know, exceedingly slow on the base path, which Odor is not. Um, or maybe, you know, somebody who's, you know, pulls the ball a lot, which Odor does do, but it's, it's, it's too low a batting average for him to sustain. So I, I do think that he is a good by low target at this point, especially while he's sitting low in the order. And I think that uh, both the batting average and the power, but especially the batting average will, will come around. Uh, a little bit of an update here on the Reds. I mentioned before that uh, the Reds lineup is out. Also, and we do now have a couple other lineups that are out, so we can take a quick look at those as well. But both Billy Hamilton and Scott Shebler came out of uh, a game this weekend, both with the same injury—a strained left shoulder. Hamilton's back. Now, the the, the injuries for both Hamilton and Shebler are not considered to be serious. Neither. Was expected to go on the DL, but Hamilton already back in the Reds lineup, all uh back at his customary leadoff spot, but Scott Schebler is not. See for the second straight game, you've got Scooter Jeanette in right field. He's batting sixth for the Reds against the Carlo, uh, against the Carlos Martinez and the Cardinals is what I meant to say with Carlos Martinez. Uh, so I'm gonna lean towards sitting Scott Schebler. I've got him in several leagues. I really like him. I really liked him this week before the injury with the matchups that he had. But um, at this point, I would have to say I'm going to sit Scott Schepler. Just, you know, maybe he comes back tomorrow, but uh, it looks a little too risky. Uh, Going on to those uh, other lineups, we've got the Phillies, we've got the Cubs, and taking a quick scan at the Phillies lineup, I do not see anything uh, unusual there. And going to the Cubs lineup, let's see, you've got Alvaro Elmora in center field. Javier Baez at shortstop, so we've got no Addison Russell in the Cubs lineup for today against the Marlins at Wrigley Field. We've got Eddie Butler pitching and batting eighth, and Kyle Schwarber batting ninth and in left field. So another interesting Joe Madden lineup there for the Cubs. So, as I said before the break, and getting back to the Reds would have been a much smoother segue if I had just gone straight from the Hamilton and Shebler talk, but uh, getting back to the Reds, uh, Zach Cozart just continues to confound me here. He had a two-home run game on Sunday against the Braves. He's now up to nine home runs on the season, which you know is certainly unusual for Cozart, but that's not the part that shocks me, um, because he's... You know, he's, he's shown decent power times. In fact, he's even had stretches where he's hit for very good power. So of all the things about Cozart, being on pace for a 25 to 30 home run season is, is the uh, just all the hits that he's had, uh, the consistently high batting average for Zach Cozart. And every time that I come on here and he has a, a three-hit uh, game or a you know, two-hit game, uh, and I say this can 't last well he 's still batting three forty four he 's got a four thirty two on base percentage six twenty two slugging, and at every turn every time he puts up big numbers, I discount it and say he can 't do he can 't do it because if you go and you look at his stats, you look at the batted ball profile Zach kozart on the surface, and even when you dig a little bit under the surface, looks like exactly the same hitter he has been for years he's got a very average hard contact rate um even a, a slightly elevated soft contact rate. He's a, a fly ball hitter with some pull tendencies. It's the same guy. So it's really, really hard to figure out. But there is one big change for Zach Kozart this year. That might be the key to a lot of what's going on here. Um, and, and I'm really puzzling this out because if Kozart is really this good, I mean, he needs to be owned everywhere and started everywhere. And if he's not and you happen to own him, then you you absolutely have to sell right now. But there is one huge area of improvement for Cozart, and that is that he is swinging at the lowest rate of his career, Uh, which is why, of course, the walk rate for him is so high, that on-base percentage that I uh, mentioned for him is so high. Um, But what does it explain in terms of all the other numbers for Cozart? Well, that that's going to take a little more getting into, more time than I've got uh, with this segment uh, needing to reach its conclusion. So uh, we're going to go to break uh, very shortly here. I'm going to finish this out with Kozart and try to connect the dots with him being much more selective, swinging a lot less, and him putting up these crazy numbers. And then we've got uh, you know, a lot of other hitters talking about. We got George Springer, we got the uh, Springer Dinger times two on Sunday. Andrew Betatendi going yard twice. So we'll get to all of that right after this break. Welcome back, everyone, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host Al Melchior, and uh, we got lots of good stuff coming up. I've got more to say about Zach Cozart, and hopefully, we can finally put a put a bow on that discussion. You know, until his next three hit game, uh, more hitters, more pitchers to talk about. We got Lauren Shahadi coming up later on in the show, but before any of that. Need to tell you about the RotoExperts.com exclusive edge in-season fantasy baseball package. It's your ultimate bench coach for the 2017 season. Stay ahead of the pack with their in-depth statistical breakdowns, trend analysis, and player insights. Become a wizard of the waiver wire and learn how to scan the numbers like a Roto Scientist. They'll help you set the ideal lineups every single week. And this season, you also get a built-in fantasy training staff with their new injury advisor powered by InsideInjuries.com. So go out there and get the rotoexperts.com exclusive edge in season fantasy baseball package right now and start soaring to the top of the standings under the promo code free radio at the checkout for a special discount. Let's get back to a little Zach Kozart talk. Um, As I was saying before the break, there's one big change in his profile uh, that I've really overlooked because every time that he has a big game and he keeps on putting up these big numbers, I said, there's just no way. There's no way he can keep this up because he's he's really, by any measure, not any different of a hitter than he was when he wasn't putting up the big numbers. But the one, the one difference I've overlooked is that he's just been much more patient. He's not swinging at a rate uh, anywhere near what he's done previously in his career. So um that certainly as i said before the break that that does explain the high on base percentage he's walking a lot more but what does that have to do with the high batting average and all the power and all i can figure is even though it's not being picked up in terms of hard contact rate barrel rate um you know fly ball rate any of that um that there, i have seen looking in the past you know other hitters and and looking at you know groups of hitters that Typically, more power does come when, when hitters get more selective. It makes sense. He's probably just not going after as many bad pitches as he has in the past. Um, but there's, a, there's another factor here as well, which is that he has hit his home runs. He's got nine of them now. He's hit them in just four different parks. Of course, uh, Great American Ballpark, his home park, where he's hit four of the nine. But he's also he's hit the rest at Rogers Center. Wrigley Field and Citizens Bank Park. Those are all really good places for right-handed hitters to hit for power. So, um, like I said, I find the power uh, surge the least surprising part of what Zach Cozart has done this year. But I think he has taken advantage of the good venues. And now, as far as the batting average, like I say, I can only explain so much of that with him being more patient and more selective. But also check this out over his last 14 games. He has a 333 BABIP rate, which is still high, higher than average, higher than you would expect from a hitter like Cozart who pulls the ball a lot and hits a lot of flies. But it's much lower than it was earlier in the season. So basically, I'm going to take kind of the uh, I'm just going to say it kind of the weasel route here (laughs) because I, I just still cannot fully explain why Cozart continues to hit so well. But I, I think I'm going to kind of take the middle route here and say I think that the, the low swing rate is probably contributing to it somewhat, but I also think that he's still whittling down an extremely high BABIP. He's uh, in the process of regression, and given what a hot start he got off to, it's going to take a while. So his numbers are going to look really good for a long time, but I think slowly and steadily that batting average is going to get eroded. And maybe he's not a 250-260 hitter uh, like he's been. In fact, I don't know. He's ever. He's never actually hit 260 since uh, 38 plate appearances in 2011. Um, but you know, maybe he's not a 250 hitter. But you know, maybe he's a 270-275 hitter. Uh, I don't buy Zach Kozart still as a 340 hitter. So enough on him. I'm hoping we can. Put that to bed for a little while. And there's certainly a lot of other great performances to get to. So I mentioned George Springer. He had two home runs. I'm actually going to put that off till later when Lauren Shahadi joins the show because we're going to talk about the Astros. So we certainly need to talk about George Springer in more depth with her. I'll just mention that he does lead the major leagues in average fly ball distance. So uh, this power surge is backed up by just a lot of very, very hard contact. Andrew Benintendi, oh, how did that come out of my mouth? Andrew, Andrew Benintendi went three for four with two home runs at the Orioles. So uh, for somebody who was generally not expected to be much of a power source this year, I saw projections that were typically like 12 home runs. He's already got seven, uh, but he just has a 16% line drive rate, which is definitely at odds with the sort of hitter he was in the Red Sox minor league system. So that's contributed to batting a you know a good but I think somewhat disappointing 269 average because we thought that was the thing where Benintendi was really going to excel. He was going to be potentially a 290, 300 hitter with the Red Sox, maybe with just moderate power. And that's gotten flipped a little bit. Uh you know, I I I think the the line drives will come, the batting average will come. Whether or not Benintendi can sustain, let's say a 20 homer pace. Uh I, I am a little skeptical on that, but I'm certainly <laughs> I'm certainly not worried about it and I'm certainly not going to be disappointed if uh you know he winds up with a a 290 average in, in, let's say 15 home runs this year. Ian Happ had a two-homer game, which has been a nice break out of a pretty bad slump for him. He's still just batting 235, but uh, Happ now with four home runs, and I mentioned the Cubs lineup before and was remiss to mention that he is not in it. So, um you know, I mentioned the fact that you got uh, Javier Baez uh, at short in place of Addison Russell. but So you got uh, Ben Zobrist at second and the uh, outfield of Hay- Hayward, Almora, and Schwarber. So no Ian Happ today after that uh, big two-home run game. But sticking with the Cubs, Anthony Rizzo. Here's, here's something I've been a little late on to talk about. Anthony Rizzo on Sunday went three for four, and he got his sixth official appearance at second base. Uh, now, it's really questionable about, you know, uh, I mean, it's not questionable. I mean, it's, it's an official designation. He he is has now six appearances at second base, but he gets it by virtue of an infield adjustment that that the Cubs make uh, where they anticipate a bunt and Rizzo plays in and then whoever's playing second scoots over to cover first so then that the official, uh, you know, the, the, the umps uh, who make that official call um, that they make that a second base appearance. So he's got six of them now. So in leagues where you only need five appearances in the current season, Rizzo's already been second base eligible. And my former CBS colleague, Chris towers wrote a a nice piece about that recently uh, that you can check out. But um, anyhow, whether it's first base, second base Rizzo, uh, you know, still being a a good power source, a good uh, run producer, but he is batting just two thirty six and much like Ben Intendi, it's been a sort of a drought of line drives for the first couple of months here, and he's also increased his pull rate. Um, so, you know, even with the power and, and the run production, Rizzo's you know, been a little bit of a letdown this year, and, and certainly let it, being able to play him at second base, <laughs> that definitely takes some of the sting out of that two thirty six batting average. But among first basemen, he's 15th in roto value currently. So that obviously has as much to do with uh, some of the uh, emerging talents at first base, uh, whether it's Eric Thames, Cody Bellinger, Ryan Zimmerman, um, you know, players who have surged or resurged. Um, Justin Bohr, we could go on and on, Under Alonso. So Rizzo's picked a bad time to lose some value. But, uh, you know, frankly, I, I, I don't uh, discount him. I wouldn't sit him. I view it as more of an oddity than anything. Trey Turner has been turning his season around, not that it was terrible to begin with, but people who may have used a first or second round pick to get him may have been disappointed initially, uh, but on Sunday he went two for four with the triple and a walk, and he stole two more bases, so he's up to 16 there, and he has been on fire for his last 14 games. He has a total of seven steals over his last 14 games while batting three seventeen. Although the on-base percentage is just 338, the sluggy percentage is a relatively modest 444 for Turner over that stretch. So it's kind of a little bit of of, uh, the good and the bad for Turner. So those who were counting on him to steal a lot of bases hit for average, he's validating that expectation over the last couple weeks. But for those who may have said he's not worth that high of a pick because he doesn't walk and you're not sure that you can buy into the power that he showed last year, well... Those skeptics are also being validated, at least over the last couple weeks. Andrew McCutcheon uh, looks like he's coming around over his last 10 games. He's hitting three ninety four with three home runs, the most recent of which was hit on Sunday against the Mets as part of a three-hit game for McCutcheon. So I don't know if the window is closed on getting him uh, at a discount, but the overall stats are still you know, not probably what you paid for or what the owner paid for. So Um, You know, I think it's worth it's worth a uh, an inquiry for sure on McCutcheon. Freddie Galvis had that surprising 20 homer season a year ago. Hadn't really been showing all that much power up until Sunday. He hit two home runs against the Giants. So that raises his total from four to six on the season. And all of a sudden now, maybe Galvis can be on a 20 homer uh, pace. So, uh, you know, we shall see with that. And his teammate, Oduble Herrera, uh, he started to come around as well. I mean, there had been talk just as recently as a few days ago. You know, people in our industry, uh, you know, the media questioning whether or not he might get sent down. I've actually talked about it on this show. But uh, Herrera, um, it's five hits in the last two games with a home run and four doubles. And most recently on Sunday, a three-for-four performance with a home run and two doubles against the Giants. So on that upbeat note for the Phillies. We're going to head to break, and when we come back out of break, I'm going to be joined by Lauren Shahadi. So that's going to be pretty awesome. Talk about the Yankees, the Astros. So you definitely want to stick around for that. We'll be right back. See you on the next baseball i'm your host al melchior and uh very excited to have today's guest join us uh welcome to the show lauren shahadi from mlb network
1: Al, it's so good to be here and talk to you i'm excited
0: yeah, the likewise. I haven't heard your voice in a while. It, was good. it kind of took me aback. Uh, so <laughs> great, great to have you on the show, and uh, looking forward to uh, talking some Astros. Which it uh, you know, was kind of funny because you know, we had some exchange about what we we're going to talk about, and, and uh, you know, sort of uh, meeting of the minds. You said, "Why don't we talk about the Astros?" And, and I was about to, to send you a message. Why don't we talk about the Astros? So we're we're in agreement there. And I think we should be in agreement that uh, the place to start is with the AL Player of the Week, George Springer. Uh, Two home runs on Sunday, seven home runs out of his last eight games. Uh, Going into the season, Lauren, I had a really hard time trying to figure out what kind of player to expect Springer to be. Was he going to steal bases? Was he going to hit for average? I didn't really think he was going to hit for this kind of power. I mean, do you think that this this is now finally the real George Springer?
1: so funny that you say that. I covered the Astros in the postseason uh, against the Royals a couple of years ago, and he was just he's just a dynamic figure in the clubhouse as well as at the plate. Um, he's so fun to watch, and we talk to A.J. Hinch about this all the time. We say he's not the traditional leadoff guy. Why would you bat George Springer in leadoff? And his answer, Al, was he's provocative. And we thought, what, is that? what does that even mean? But you're kind <laughs> of saying it. You know, he's on pace for 45 homers, over 100 RBI. He's been the catalyst that gets the offense going. He's led off six games with home runs this season. Think about that. Think of another, and I know the evolution of a of leadoff hitter has changed, and it never is more evident than right now. But George Springer is the poster child for that. You know, the Cubs tried it with Kyle Schwarber, a different. Leadoff guy than I think than traditionally you would think, and it's not what worked in the beginning. It's not working so far. But George Springer just keeps on proving that he's perfect in that spot.
0: Yeah, it's odd because you know, well, from the fancy perspective, we say, well, what a waste of all that power, you know, with the bottom of the order hitting ahead of him. But yeah, like you said, I think there just must be a comfort level for there for him because he's really, uh you know, really become a, a different player there in the leadoff spot. Um, yeah. Now, no, in, in your coverage of the Astros, how much? Uh, you were able to to you know talk to Carlos Correa. But one of the things that I always think about whenever I'm, I'm tracking his performances, I had a, a talk with somebody in the Astros organization, uh, I'd say probably about a year ago, maybe a little more than a year ago. Uh, and they said, you know, what he did as a rookie is, is the real deal that, that this person had never seen somebody with that level of maturity at such a young age. Um, so I don't know if yeah. your dealings of, of any. But so is that your impression as well?
1: Totally, we have the draft coming up. The the first overall. That's the exact kind of guy you would want—a a position player like Carlos Correa that can, you know, change the the complexion of the team. That can change an inning. He's been red hot since April. Um, and we'll have the conversation like, is he the best offensive shortstop in the game? It, it, over the streak, he's been incredible. Um, but that's that's a hard conversation. With so many greats in the game, he one of the one of my dealings with him when we were in was he had met a kid who was I think I think he was he was physically challenged in in some way and he brought a cake to the kid's school for his birthday. No press was around. Nobody caught wind of it except for one reporter, and then it became public. But he's the kind of guy that you want in the clubhouse. He doesn't tell anyone when he goes and does things like that. He's both. Tremendous on the field and off the field. It's really been a breakout year for him as well.
0: Hey, absolutely. I mean, do you think uh, that we could actually when you know he came out of that rookie season, that you know, really half season where he put up those amazing numbers uh, a year ago? I was convinced that he was just sort of running away from the field. Um, of course, the, the field got pretty good with Trey Turner and, and right. Xander Bogarts and this year, Alvis Andrews uh, improving. Uh, but do you think he is uh, the far and away the best at the shortstop position? I don't.
1: I just don't. I don't. I think there's too many. You said you mentioned Trey Turner, uh, Francisco Lindor. I mean, yeah. he, he's homered 12 times a season he's on pace for 35 his smile lights up a room and it lights up the clubhouse we talk a lot of, a lot to these guys you know and about what makes them tick and he's um the kind of player that leads by example he changes the dugout um he would be my pick but uh, gosh Carlos Correa not not far behind
0: all right. All right. Well, that's it's, it's a yeah, that's a that'd be a really big call to say that he's far to win a shortstop when there's so many good ones. Uh, now, Marvin Gonzalez, I mean, he's been a real surprise. I mean, much more than than even Korea or Springer, um, but they have so much depth on that roster. Do you think that Gonzalez has the staying power to actually play close to regularly like he has up to this point uh, for the remaining four months of the season?
1: I always, whenever I think of Marwin Gonzalez and who, who was Marwin Gonzalez before the season, I always, these guys who come on the map and then they're mainstays in a lineup. It's just, it's shocking to me. But I always go back to Ben Zobrist, what he did with Kansas City uh, before he did on the north side of Chicago. Super utility man, extraordinaire. You see him in right field, then you see him in left field, then you see him at second base. And the way he changes a ball game. Marwin Gonzalez, he has that kind of stuff. I mean, his career high in home runs is 13. He already has 12. He needs to be in the lineup every day. The good thing is there's plenty of space for him because he can play everywhere. He's played first. He's played second. He's played third, shortstop, left, right field this season. I mean, the definition of versatility is Marwin Gonzalez. He should be an all-star. And I know that Houston the Astros are going to be well-represented. Miami, Marvin Gonzalez, his numbers are totally worthy of an all-star game nomination. I know he's not on the ballot right now, but the fan vote, he would be my pick.
0: Yeah, well, and I, I definitely could see him as being somebody who, you know, would be picked as, as a reserve, you know, probably not as a write-in, but uh, uh, and I've I, you know i talked on the show before about uh, having an issue with people getting on the All-Star team because of two or three good months, but I, I could see a case for, for Marvin Gonzalez, and Hinch has seemed to really like him even when he wasn't contributing this much offensively, so given that he is, it does seem like, it seems to me like he could stay in the lineup all year. Um, How do you
1: judge? Uh, here's my question. Yeah. How do you judge an all star if you're not judging three months of the like the first two, three months? Like you're saying proven track record record over a couple of years?
0: Yes, exactly. Because that okay. all star yeah. label sticks with you for your whole career. And just as a from a fan's perspective, too. um I don't know. I just, to me, it's it's something I, it's kind of a carryover from being a kid because, you know, you're a kid and you watch the all-star game and you're sort of being introduced to the game. And so, you know, you're being presented as these are the best players and the biggest names in the game.
1: Yeah.
0: And, you want and, to see Albert
1: Pools? You don't want to. Exactly. See, yeah. And, and at this person. stage
0: of his career, maybe not Albert Pools, but, um, certainly, I, I mean, it's sort of escaping me. Somebody who's been really, you know, Miguel Cabrera, perhaps might be a better example. Um. Yeah, you know, no I get that. The best. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of all I just stars think be that maybe Marlins Gonzalez yeah. wouldn't
1: have another chance to go. Than, <laughs> That's true. That's true too. I totally <laughs> <don't like> <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, you know, since we're talking about All-Stars, I mean, we, I, even though I don't know if there's a whole lot to say that hasn't been said about Jose Altuve, I mean, we, we got to, you know, give him a nod, at least, uh, talking about the Astros. And the thing that I found interesting is that, as, as was pretty much expected before the season started, he's way ahead of all the other second basemen, both in terms of fantasy value and real-world values measured by war. But... He's not, you know, the second or third most valuable player, and that's typically how he was being drafted in fantasy drafts. And one of the players ahead of him is Aaron Judge. So, you know, you've got the established Altuve, you've got the rookie Aaron Judge. Do you think Judge will, will be uh, more valuable and more productive than Altuve uh, four months from now?
1: It's such a hard question. We had both of them in the studio, and they couldn't be more opposite. There's a, like a person and height difference between them. Um, Judge is very modest and kind. So is Altuve in personality. They're very gentle when they speak. But you know, killers on the field. Jose Altuve happens to be my favorite player in the game, just for way the way he plays. Um, and, and and one of you know one of my gripes is the judges' chambers at Yankee Stadium. They have this little section where uh dedicated to Aaron judge's fans and they dress up as judges. And that's kind of like this, you know, this little um, tribute to him. My only problem is he's played 80 games. You know, I, I, I can't imagine. They didn't do that for Mariano Rivera. No. <laughs> I, I just think that he's, he, I think that when you're comparing those two people, it's so hard because judge has been jaw dropping, but Altuve is as close to a sure thing in the sport as we have 200 hits the last three seasons um leading the league all three seasons the power should come at some point for Altuve, you know. I I don't know. I think I'm I'm an Altuve all the way cuz he's just proven it for longer.
0: Yeah, I I could just see judge not necessarily, you know, having a monumental slump, but enough of one where he he just goes back to the pack a little bit, you know, but uh sure. have it, to yeah. At this point. Think, have
1: to.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, moving on from the the Astros to the Yankees and really to the AL East as a whole, uh, the Yankees, of course, in first place right now, um, you know, it's been a quick order, become a very loaded roster, but they've mm-hmm. got a number of players who I think are potentially overperformers. performers um, judge again, maybe just by a slight bit, but Brett Gardner, um, Starlin Castro, Aaron Hicks. I did not foresee this level of production from them. Luis Severino seems to be the real deal, but um, you know, again, another young player uh, between, you know, all those players on the Yankees who could be, Overperformer candidates, and then looking at some of the other rosters in the AL East, are there any players that stand out you think that could shift the balance in what is still a pretty tight-knit division in the standings?
1: You know, I would agree with you that I think they're all over-performing. I don't think they'll all underperform at the same time. Matt Holliday was someone you didn't mention. What a great signing for the Yankees. He was kind of like an afterthought. And he's been fantastic We're, you know, we're exactly one third of the way through the season. The Yankees are 10 games over 500. I think baseball is better, more enjoyable when the Yankees are good. And I don't know if that's my East Coast bias or because I live in New York City. I'm not a Yankee fan. So that that just comes from watching the Yankees throughout my years. When I turn on the Yankee game, it's been exciting. And the past year and a half, I would say it wasn't that way. And now the brand of baseball, I think, is back. I think they're playing exciting baseball. It's safe to say that they're good. And if they're still in the lead around the deadline, I, I think they add. You know, last year we saw them sell for the first time in forever. Um, the AL is stacked. I think they're, they have a two-game lead right now. There's too much star power, though, in the East. To, to, this is going to go down, in my opinion, to the last week, the couple days. Red Sox with sale and price, Porcello, Blue Jays, Donaldson, healthy. Um, Batista, all the power hitters in Baltimore, um, Boston, Toronto. You know, I, I kind of wrote Toronto off, but I'm not, I'm not writing them off anymore. I think the East is anyone's game.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I interesting uh, we'll
1: three inter- teams out of the East, just like last season, maybe.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, be interesting to watch. Well, Lauren, I'm uh, afraid we're out of time. Wish we had more. But I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. And uh, look forward to seeing you on MLB Network. Uh, and uh, thanks for coming on the show.
1: It was a blast. Let's do it again. Right.
0: Thanks, Al. All right, absolutely. All right, folks. We'll stay tuned. We got some pitcher performances to break down. Be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to FanRack Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host Al Melchior. and uh, thanks again to Lauren Shahadi from MLB network for joining us for that last segment and talking Astros and Yankees with us uh, this last segment here we we have not even gotten to the standout pitching performances from Sunday and uh, you know fortunately for for my sake I guess, there weren't really that many of them. So uh, we had already talked about Luis Severino, uh, Lauren uh, Shahadi uh, in the previous segment. Uh, she and I talked about him a little bit. Uh, he had another nice start. My uh, only other comment I would make is why is he not universally started at this point? I mean, he's really does seem to be uh, a legit, uh, if not an ace, certainly number two, like top 20 Fancy starting pitcher. Um, so he seems slightly under and very understarted uh in all the major uh, uh, platforms uh, for fantasy baseball. Um, Brad Peacock with a great start against the Rangers. Went six innings in this one. So definitely getting himself stretched out from that relief roll with nine strikeouts and just one walk. Uh, two runs on four hits. And the one walk is very encouraging. I mean, Peacock's been getting a lot of strikeouts. But I think that his adoption of a two-seamer this year is really paying huge dividends. Because that Rugnet odor home run that I mentioned earlier in the show, that was the first home run Pe- Peacock had allowed all season long. So in addition to missing bats, uh, the contact has not been real strong against Brad uh, Peacock this year. So he's also somebody that needs to be owned in a lot more leagues. And then you had Errol Miranda with a complete game uh, against the Rays with no, also nine strikeouts for him, uh, just one run allowed and one walk for Miranda. Now, that uh, the Rays are a great, great matchup for lefties, but this still exceeded my expectations for Miranda. And I think he's kind of sneakily improving this season, uh, being a little bit more deceptive. Um, a little bit more durable, so or I shouldn't say durable, but uh, maybe efficient is maybe the better word for Miranda. So um, I don't think that's just a one-shot deal with that nice start against the Rays. And then finally, Jeff Hoffman, also a very nice matchup at San Diego, but uh, he made the most of it. And the, the interesting thing is that uh, he had an almost identical line to his previous start against the Phillies. Seven innings, three hits. One run, no walks. Back-to-back starts with those exact same numbers. Only difference here is that uh, he got two more strikeouts this time. He got nine strikeouts. Um, 13.4% whiff rate uh, in limited innings for Jeff Hoffman. So uh, certainly a lot of appeal there. The only thing I see that causes me to pump the brakes just a little bit is he has a 25% ground ball rate. And for especially for a Colorado pitcher, for any pitcher, that's a little alarming. But for a Colorado pitcher, that's extremely alarming, at least for home starts. So bear that in mind. Uh, I'm not wouldn't necessarily discourage anybody from picking up Jeff Hoffman, especially uh, in a deeper league, deeper than 12 teams. So I'm not talking about super deep, super deep, but um, you certainly have to be careful. I think about when uh when you would choose to start hoffman so peacock miranda hoffman severina you know those were to me the really big standout of performances from sunday uh we did have nice starts from zach davies trevor williams uh, they certainly have some deeper league appeal as well so uh with that said that puts a wrap on today's show uh i will be back on thursday as always And uh, he's become sort of a semi-regular guest on Thursdays. Nando DeFino, he's going to be back on the show.